Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. We are in the book of Ephesians, and uh, today we're in chapter 5. And so before we get into that, let's just pray here real quick. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we have an anchor, we have a guide, we have a path to walk. Lord, I know that the Bible says that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And God, we know that this is not only just a collection of letters and histories and and genealogies and things like that. This is a living word and you speak to us through it. And, and I know that your word goes out and it doesn't come back void. And so we know that it causes change and it has an effect. And so, Lord, right now we choose to open our heart and our ears and our mind up to your word to let it do its work in our life here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Ephesians, we're talking about how... Um, we want our, our true identity to be unearthed, to be revealed, to be brought out into the light. And, and I think that that's one of the most important things that we can talk about. I think that's one of the most important things that you can get a hold of is understanding who you are, understanding who God has made you to be, understanding what you are. Because and you know this is true. The world will tell you something that contradicts what the Bible says about who you are. And you have to make an intentional effort to not believe that deception and those lies. And you have to make an intentional effort to grab a hold of what God says about who you are. And so we've been learning about that, chapters 1 through 4. I, I, I hope that that has uh, found some root in your heart, in your thinking, in your mind. I know that last week's message was a milestone for a lot of people. I know that's the truth. Um, And so today, what we're going to do, at least in part of chapter 5, we're not taking the whole chapter today. Paul takes a real practical look at what it looks like to have your identity changed, to have your perspective shifted, and uh, to walk in a life that imitates God. And so now the first word in chapter five is therefore. And you know the word therefore is, go, is taking anything that comes after that word and it connects it to what was said just prior, right? So when I see a chapter that starts off with therefore, I want to know what was just said prior. So let's back up. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so we have this idea that these things can be done if we do them in the way that God has demonstrated it. God forgave us, and He did it in the most dramatic, dynamic way possible by using Jesus to forgive us. And so we, it says we should do that as God 
forgave us. Okay, so then we get into chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, I want to camp here just for a second, just for a minute, because I don't want to look at something as uh, intense as this idea of imitating God and just rush past it like it's nothing. Because really think about that. How can we imitate God? How can broken, fallen, screwed up, messed up humanity imitate an all-holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, ever-living God? How is it possible? How do we have enough ability to be able to imitate God? Have you ever thought about that? I'm, I'm the type of person that when I read the Bible and I see something like that, I stop because it challenges me. I'm not going to just be like, oh, imitate God. Okay. Oh, be holy as I'm holy. Okay. And just move on. So how can we do that? How do we have the ability to do it? Well, imitating God doesn't come through ability. It comes through identity. Let me say that one more time. Imitating God doesn't come through our ability. It comes through identity. Look again at what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, any of you who have kids, you know that um, kids watch what you do. Am I right? I mean, they see what you do. If you come home and you've got a bad attitude and you start yelling at people and kicking the dog or whatever, that starts to affect the way that they act. And, th and this whole do as I say, don't do as I do thing doesn't work. We all know that, right? So kids look at their parents and they're able to imitate their parents. That's what they do. It's in their nature. And so Paul is, is getting at this point right here, just in this first verse. And he says, we're supposed to imitate God because we're God's children and it's in our nature to act like our heavenly father. That's where we don't have to worry about our ability. We can look to what our nature is. So uh, we know that we can imitate God. We know that it's possible. We can put that question to rest. We can do it. But how do we do it? And like I said, Paul is taking a practical look at this in this, in this chapter. And so we're going to look at some of these practical ways. We're going to look at, at how it looks and how it doesn't look. So um, let's kind of move in, dive forward, check this out. Verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So six times in Ephesians, Paul uses the word walk. Six times. It's actually used, I think, 96 times in the, in the, in the whole New Testament. This word walk, what's it mean? Uh, we saw it, uh, if you remember back, walk in, goods, in good works was Ephesians 2.10. Walk worthy of the calling you received Ephesians 4.1, 1. 
And then also in chapter 4, uh, 17, walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. And then, we, of course, we just now saw walk in love. And then two more times in chapter 5, Paul uses this verb, walk. And that verb, if anybody's interested, is, is the Greek word peripateo. And all it means is it conveys the idea of living one's life in a particular way. So what Paul is saying is live your life in a way of love, in the way that God loved you. And so the type of love that God used and the type of love that you're supposed to imitate is a sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. So that means someone else's needs, someone else's wants, someone else's uh, even desires are elevated above your own. And your needs and your wants and even your freedoms at times might need to be laid down for the good of someone else. That's sacrificial love, right? I mean, isn't that how God loved us? Sacrificial love. I'm not going after what I want at the expense of someone else. I'm laying down what I want, what I maybe even need, maybe what I even deserve for the benefit or the good of someone else. And if you don't understand or see what sacrificial love looks like, then you may not understand love. And so I have a... um, kind of a loose analogy that I want to uh, use here in a video. So let's go ahead and roll this video. Okay, so last week I was sitting in the service, listening to Pastor Sean speak, making all these great points, uh, just like the rest of you guys were. And seemingly from out of the blue, I had this idea for an illustration for today. And and so here I am, I'm in front of the fireplace and I've got these dogs here with me. And, and so I had this idea for this illustration. I think it was a God thing. And the illustration is about this point. We're talking about imitating God by walking in love. And not just walking in love, but walking in love like Jesus did, which is sacrificial love. Now, sacrificial love means that your wants, your needs, even your freedoms might need to be laid down for the good of another person. And there are times that that may need to happen if you're walking in sacrificial love. So these two dogs here are my illustration. I've got Cooper and he is uh, a little bit on the thin side. I can see his ribs, I can see his spine. He's got this loose skin here, but it's really just skin and bones. And then I've got Lucy here and Lucy is a rotund, uh, portly, mildly obese golden retriever. Now, how did Lucy get that way? Here's how she got that way. Remember, we're talking about what it looks like to walk in love and what it doesn't look like. The way Lucy got this way is when it was time to feed the dogs, we would always give the dogs their food at the same time. So there's Lucy's food and there's Cooper's food. And what was happening, we found out, was this. Lucy would go in and eat all of her food And then she would run Cooper off and eat all of his food. Now, is that walking in love? No, of course it's not. And so here's what you need to think about. If you're going to walk in love, don't be a Lucy. 
Put other people's needs in front of your own. Take your wants, your needs, even your freedoms, and be willing to lay them down to elevate another person. Don't be a Lucy. She's not healthy. He's not healthy. We're having to help bring them back to a place of health. And I'm not worried about her walking in love, but you can walk in love and you should. So let's walk in love the way Jesus did, sacrificial love, others first before us. Don't be a Lucy. You know, if we are, if we're doing this, if we're imitating God and walking in love, people should be able to see it. It should be evident. It should be clear. It shouldn't be a mystery. Um, people should be able to see it. John thirteen thirty five says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, in other words, people will be able to tell that you follow me because they'll see how you love each other. And if they can't see that, then that casts a little bit of a shadow of doubt on whether or not you're following me. Matthew uh, chapter 7 verse 18 says, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So, if we are imitating God, if we are walking in love, in sacrificial love, people will see it in how we walk and how we live. All right, moving forward on to verse 3. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul is saying this. Look, you have a new life. You're walking on a new path. You have a new father. Things have been new. Things have changed for you. Don't go back into those old ways. If you're imitating God, it should be visible. There are clearly things that are wrong. Clearly there are activities that are sinful. Uh, there are things that are worldly and frankly, they're beneath a child of God. And again, this all goes back to your identity, understanding who you are. And Sometimes we have to identify those things. But this here today really isn't like a list of rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts. Because let me ask you this. What about those gray areas? You know, what about those gray areas? Now you may say, no, Aaron, there are no gray areas. It's right and wrong and, and sin and not sin. And well, I understand that. And we just saw a list of things that are clearly wrong, clearly sin. But there are things that to some people would be considered a freedom and to other people would, frankly, would be a struggle. You can think of some things. I can think of some things. How about cards? Right? 
When I was a kid, we had a Christian school, and there were kids from all different types of churches that came to that school. And I remember one day where we had like a a break time or free time or whatever, and some of us wanted to play cards. I'm not talking about high-stakes poker. I'm talking about like rummy or something like that. And it was offensive to some of these other kids because the church where they were or the family they came from uh, had a problem with playing cards. I didn't understand it, but it was that's, that's how it was. To us, it was a freedom. To them, not so much. And this can show up in your life in the type of music that you listen to, in the type of movies that you watch. And again, I'm not trying to give you some kind of list of this is good and this is bad. I'm talking about there are things that for some of you might be a freedom and for some of you might be a struggle. And so how do we navigate those gray areas and still walk in love? Sacrificial love. Because you might be on either side of that fence. You might be in that area that's like, hey, I'm not cool with this. I'm not, I don't, I'm not cool with this kind of music. I'm not cool with this kind of movie or, or playing cards, right? Or you might be on the freedom side of the fence where, hey, I know, I'm not worried about that. That doesn't bother me. That's not pulling me into the world or anything like that. So how do you walk in love? Either side of the fence. Well, um, some of this became a little more clear to me. Um, it was a long time ago, many years ago. But I had a group of friends who uh, had a kind of a division that came among them um, over the idea of consuming alcohol. Okay? Now, I'm not saying anything about it's okay or it's not okay. But in this group of friends, there was a dividing. And there was one group that was like, I'm okay with that. And there was another part of this same group that was like, I'm not okay with that. And so bickering and debating and arguing and fighting began to occur among these, these people. And I decided that I'm going to go to the Bible and I'm going to find, you know, two or three scriptures and lay it all out and set everybody straight and end this argument once and for all. That was naive. Because as I started searching the Bible for a clear list of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs, I did find statements and scriptures and uh, clear directives from the Word of God about being drunk. I mean, that was clear. We're going to see one of those probably later today if we have time to get to it. But as I searched for uh, a clear treatment of just consuming alcohol specifically, um, I didn't find anything, at least as long as I was looking for a rule. But when I started looking for a principle for walking in love, then something kind of emerged out of it. Now, let me say this. Whether you are on the side of the fence with whatever the gray area might be, whether you're on the that's a freedom or that's a struggle, 
side. Did you know that God has never required us to call people out on their behavior? And that might be a surprise to some people, depending on your background, depending on the way you were raised, the church you went to. That may be a surprise. But the reason for that is pretty simple. We're children of God, right? We're ambassadors for Jesus. We don't call people out. We call people up. And you may not have a gift of prophecy per se, but that doesn't mean you can't speak prophetically into someone's life. And walking in love simply means that you speak, when you speak to someone, you speak to their divine potential, not to their present place that they are in life. Does that make sense? And so Paul is dealing with this over in Romans 14. And I don't want to look at the whole chapter, but I want to take two sections of it and look at how Paul treated this whole issue. And <clears throat> this is where I went to find um, what, I, what I believe is the answer, the biblical answer to this whole situation. Just to give you a little bit of a background, what Paul is talking about here in Romans 14 is this idea where there were some believers who still had a problem with eating certain meats and drinking wine and things like that. And then there, were another, there was another group of believers that um, felt that they were free to eat meat and they were free to drink wine. And um, it's interesting, Paul doesn't come in and put the hammer down and say, you're right, you're wrong. Paul deals with the whole thing uh, in this principle of walking in love. So let's just look through this, and I think you'll see it too. So Romans 14, uh, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Sorry, vegans and vegetarians, I didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. <laughs> let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So now listen, there is a place for calling sin, sin. I'm not saying that that's not the case. There is a place for that. But the way that you do it and the motivation behind why you do it and the attitude you have when you do it reveals your heart. And what Paul is saying is that there are times that that's just opinions and that's not walking in love. Okay, jump down to verse 13. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather uh, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. 
So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating nor drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food, your freedom, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats, your freedom. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now you may need to examine how your freedom is affecting your brothers and sisters, your friends. You know, if we take just a second to unpack what Paul is saying there, he's basically saying, if you have a freedom that you enjoy, you cannot partake of that freedom if you know that it's causing someone else to stumble. And if you know that it's causing someone else to stumble, then you can't do it in faith. And whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. So let me just answer it like this. Is it a sin to have a glass of wine? No. Is it a sin to have a glass of wine if you know it's causing someone to stumble? If you're out to dinner with someone and they are a struggling alcoholic or a, or a recovering alcoholic that's walking a rough road and you order a glass of wine and you know it causes them to stumble? Yes, that is sin. That's what Paul is saying. And he says it in a very clear and a concise way. So is it a list of do's and don'ts? No, it's not. It's a principle of walking in sacrificial love. So we have to examine our freedoms. We have to examine how God is walking us along our path and see how that affects other people. So your sacrifice, uh, you sacrifice your freedom for the sake of a weaker brother or sister. That's walking in love. That's imitating God. Now, talk about walking in love is a way of imitating God. We can also talk about walking in light. Okay? Um, and uh, chapter 5 is full of practical applications for this idea of imitating God. We're not going to get through the whole thing, but I want to hit this one here for sure. Um, with our time here today. So let's move on uh, to chapter or chapter five, verse six. So we're in verse six. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Did you notice, and, and I, the first time I read this, 
this jumped out at me. Did you notice that he did not say, for once you were in darkness, but now you are in light? He said, once you were darkness, and now you are light. You know why that's important? Because it goes back to your identity. It goes back to who you are. It goes back to what you are. You are light. You have a new identity and you have a new nature. A new nature. Now listen to this. To have a new nature means you have a new purpose. Amen? Things have changed. You have a new purpose. And uh, listen, let's keep reading and look at what this purpose is. Uh, Verse 10 It says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's your purpose. That's your job. And it may not look the way you think it looks. Let's keep reading. For it is a shameful thing to even speak of the things they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. By nature, you are a light. That's what Jesus said. You know, Jesus called you a light. In, uh, in Matthew 5, let's just read it. Matthew five fourteen through 16 says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, as faith people, as people of faith, I think that sometimes we get confused when we follow the path that God has laid out for us and it takes us into a place of darkness. Because for whatever reason, we kind of have this idea that our path should always be good and positive and happy and fun. But How many of you guys know that there are times that if you are following God, if you're doing everything right, you're reading your Bible and you're praying and you're going to church and loving people and all that, the path that you follow still will take you into a place of darkness. And then we start praying to God and saying, God, get me out of this place of darkness as quick as possible. Deliver me, Lord. But it's only confusing if you forget who you are and you forget what you are. What did Jesus say? He said, people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. So you are a light that was meant to shine in darkness. You don't put a light in an already lit place, you take it out into the darkness to dispel the darkness. Amen? So walk in light. So if you find yourself in a dark place of someone's depression or someone's hopelessness 
or someone's loneliness or sickness or poverty or even your own? Don't run from the darkness. Shine your light and dispel the darkness. It's who you are. It's your purpose. It's your identity. You are made to be a light that obliterates the darkness. I started trying to look at myself that way as I went out into uh, the world, you know, the grocery store, uh, wherever, and just imagining myself as this light that is moving around in a sometimes very dark world. And it changed the way I looked at my identity and my purpose. And you know what it did? It started opening my eyes up to possibilities and um, what you might call divine appointments. And I found myself in, in, in places where uh, I could be praying for people or sharing the gospel with people rather than just having my blinders on and going about my business. So we are lights in a dark world. It's easier to see a light in a dark room than in a well-lit room, right? I mean, if we were to shut all the lights off in here and uh, I lit a match, it would be much more visible than if we had all the lights on and I lit a match. It's, uh, it's easier to see good in bad. And it's easier for the world to see the glory of God when we choose to shine our light. Well, not our light, right? It's, it's his light. It's not our light. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, let my light shine before men that they might see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. He said, let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, it goes back to identity. And this is really what I want you to get. You know that God loves this world, right? You know that God loves this world. He loves the people of this world. And God is reaching out to this world. But he's doing it through you. That's how he's doing it. You know, if, if you have a neighbor that's far from God and is going through a horrible hard time, don't just go back in your house and shut the door and say, God, please help my neighbor. Just somehow, some way, show him your love. Just show, put someone in his path, Lord. <laughs> How about a neighbor that knows God? That's you. So if we are the body of Christ... And God is going to touch this world. He's going to touch this world with his hands and his feet. And that's us. Okay? So I used to be the, a person uh, that believed that really our purpose was to just pray a whole bunch. You know, Lord, send revival. Lord, raise up people. Lord, you know, and we, we, we do need to pray. And I'm not saying we don't, but I have learned that our purpose is much more than just to pray. We have to be who God created us to be. Amen? And so we've got to imitate God by walking in love. And uh, I'm going to go ahead right now and have the band come back up. And we're going to come in for a landing here. 
We have to be who God has created to be by walking in love, sacrificial love. The world will see it when we do it. But we also have to imitate God by walking in light. So it's great for the world to see us walking in love, but we need to shine the light of God's goodness on the world and dispel and push back the darkness. Amen. Now, uh, chapter five goes on. It talks about walking in wisdom and it talks about how uh, by imitating God, it will transform our relationships, especially uh, marriage relationships. But uh, I'm going to leave that to the following weeks and let's wrap it up. So I want you to pray. Actually, let's stand up and pray and we're going to We're going to worship God one more time. Father, I thank you, God, that you have come and changed who we are. I thank you, God, that we have a new identity. We have a new purpose, Lord. You rescued us. Lord, your word says that you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, we're not just poor sinners saved by grace. We were poor sinners, but now we've been saved. And Lord, I pray that you would, by revelation, reveal to everyone here who we are and what our purpose is. God, let the world see your love through us. Let the world see your light through us, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.